Show me the science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Hello, I'm Luke O'Neill and welcome to my show, Me the Science podcast. Now, I've had about five requests, incredibly, and I've always said, look, anybody wants me to cover something, please send me an email. You find my email address uh, in Trinity and I'm more than happy to look into a topic. And this request came in to talk about migraine. Now, it's very important migraine because it's extremely common. Let's start with that statement, first of all. A billion people worldwide, they reckon, get migraines. And you'll all be familiar with them, and I guess some people might have them. Uh, 15% of the world's population have them. And in fact, it's been ranked as the third most debilitating condition in the world because it's so common. And clearly, you all know what it is. It's a very bad headache, basically, is one way to define it. Very serious, can be very debilitating. People out of work, people have to go home from work sometimes if they have a migraine attack. And it's been quite hard to study over the years. Uh, very variable. I mean, if you take uh, one person with a migraine and then compare them to someone else with a migraine, you get all these differences. So quite hard to pin down exactly what's going on, a big mystery. And of course, what people want to know is, can they prevent it? And if they can prevent it, can they treat it? And the good news is, the reason why I'm covering it as well as being asked to is there's been a breakthrough. And a new drug was approved uh, quite recently that really seems to impact on migraine. Now, wait till the end. Uh, I'll tell you what that one is. Uh, but it's been a scientific mystery for a long time. And um, and as you would all know as well, I'm, I'm always intrigued by scientific mysteries in terms of the basis for things. Lots of research has revealed an awful lot about migraine. Now, first of all, let's define it. Well, as you would all know as well, it is, generally speaking, a very, very painful headache. It's got various um, sort, of, sort of features that make it different from a regular headache. Sometimes one side of the head is affected, not the whole head. Secondly, the headache pulsates, which can be a very unpleasant feeling indeed. And the headache can last hours or even days. And in the worst case scenario, this headache will persist for three, four days. Very, very debilitating. Uh, it's also got features like nausea, uh, vomiting can happen, very sensitive to light, some people have, and sound sensitivity, and even smell. All your senses kind of go a bit strange, I guess, in a very, a very severe attack. A third of people have a thing called an aura. Now, what that is, it's a visual disturbance. Things shimmer in a funny way. Sometimes you see these flashes of light. Uh, sometimes you get these what are called castellations, where little like, castle-like structures appear before your eyes. And when this happens for the first time, people are frightened, obviously. Well, what the hell is this? Uh, some just get the aura or the uh, visual disturbance. That's called a migranous migraine. There's a great name or something, there was one. Uh, not a regular migraine, but still, this very strange visual disturbance can affect people. No headache, but still, it can be very disturbing. Now, the other thing is that they've known for a long time, it goes through various phases. Uh, the first phase is called prodrome. Uh, now, that means you can sense it coming on. Uh, a key feature there is irritability, low mood, fatigue. It's a strange feeling. Then the aura begins, and that's the flashing lights and all the rest of it. As I say, about a third of people have that. And then the pain kicks in, and it is a very, very severe headache. It, it's so severe, you've got to lie down, basically, in a darkened room. People often do that. The last phase is called post-drome. And that's about like a hangover is the best way to describe that. And these are well worked out. We, we know these phases happen. Uh, they can be timed almost in some people and people with migraine get used to them. They know how long the prodrome lasts, for instance, and then the aura kicks in. Then they know the pain is coming. So, so it's a well worked out kind of process. Uh, very complicated. Just think about that for a minute. Uh, those different phases. What is happening 
in your head, in your body, in the prodrome, say, and in the aura, and in the painfulness, and in the postdrome, there's things happening in the brain uh, and other parts, I guess, that are that are giving rise to all these symptoms. So very, very complicated, really, process. That's what it is, though those different things happen. Now, the next question then is, what is the cause of migraine? Now, clearly, again, they've looked at this for a long time, and we still don't fully know is, is the sad truth of it. First of all, there is genetics. So like most things that we often talk about, it runs in families. Uh, Two thirds of cases run in families. So therefore, there's a big genetic component. They've spent decades looking for gene variants that might explain it without huge success, it has to be said. Now, why would that be if there's genetic evidence? Well, a big reason would be you might have one gene, the next migraine person might have the other, you know, and there won't be any overlap between you. So it's very hard to pin down you know, which genes are involved and which aren't. The second thing that's definitely involved is hormones in the body. Now, how do we know that? Well, first of all, uh, pre-puberty, so pre-adolescence, it's much more common in boys than girls. That's the first thing, which is intriguing. Past puberty, women are much more commonly afflicted by migraines, three times as much than men, actually, uh, on average. So women are more likely to get it. So there must be something happening hormonally then that when women go into adolescence and then into adulthood, the hormone balance shifts. And then before adolescence, the hormone balance is different. The other great finding in this regard was during pregnancy, migraines are inclined to stop. So again, we think that's because of our hormonal change. And then menopause, post-menopause, again, migraines can stop. So again, all these hormone fluctuations are happening through the course of a woman's life in that case, you know. And then we're seeing these different features and different... uh, different incidences of migraine what what the hormones are doing we've no idea and of course if we knew we could possibly change some of these hormonal pathways during a severe attack say and have a treatment and that's a possibility i guess so that, that's the thing that, that's um, in terms of the basis for it we know it's something tending to hormones we know it's genetic but we don't fully know all the genes the next question is what triggers it and again each migraine sufferer will have different reasons for it fatigue is a big one for definite that can bring on a migraine attack alcohol disappointingly can also bring on attacks um, actual hangovers can cause a severe migraine attack another one. the weather incredibly the studies showing that changes in air pressure can bring on an attack of migraine as well and then stress can be a factor and, and anybody with a migraine will tell you they get very stressed some days and that can trigger the migraine attack 50 to 80 percent depending on which study you read uh, will say stress brought on the attack the migraine attack in them so these are all features that, that are triggers and of course the migraine sufferers realize oh i'll try to avoid these or maybe i'll rest a bit or it might be and that might decrease my risk of having a migraine and then the other one um that that became clear early on in research diet can bring on an attack as well there is a dietary component called tyramine which certain foodstuffs uh, are rich in tyramine and that can bring on an attack and monosodium glutamate is another one and that's a flavour enhancer, common in many different foods, I guess, and dishes. They have been shown to bring on attacks. The trouble is not in everybody, and that makes it tricky. So again, you might have 10% of migraine people are sensitive to MSG, the rest aren't. So again, huge variability here, which makes it really difficult to study, I guess, and analyse. Now, the other thing to say is um, all those different causes, you know, what, what would they be doing to your body, I suppose, if people have looked at this. It seems to be about blood vessels in your brain. So you do get what's called vasoconstriction happening. Blood flow 
is altered in the brain of someone having a migraine. That tells us something important, doesn't it? That there's something to do with blood flow in the system, I guess, to explain some of this. And that in turn then might give rise to treatments that will, that will um, you know, re- restore the blood vessel, blood vessel flow and the blood flow to be in the right way. So blood vessels seem to be a very important part of it. Now, what's also the case then, we've known about migraine for thousands of years, looking back through medical sort of uh, the Ebers papyrus in Egypt, for instance, there's a record of migraine there, it seems. So the ancients knew all about it, very common, you know, all through human history. And there's been all kinds of remedies and treatments and what have you. Uh, one, one big treatment in ancient times was trepanation. Now that is, you bang a hole in the skull. Now there's a desperate measure, isn't it? Your headache is so bad to get some relief uh, they would drill a tiny hole in the skull. Never worked, of course, it must be said. But still, there was desperation to get rid of these migraines uh, through history because it was so common all those years ago. Now, the treatments that begin to emerge in the 20th century, first of all, um, painkillers, not ones we use for regular headaches, say paracetamol or ibuprofen and so on, they can work and they can give relief. Uh, these are called non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and they use as painkillers in different contexts. They can bring some relief to some extent, but they aren't the answer because if they were, we'd, we'd have a cracked with paracetamol, wouldn't we? Other compounds, uh, beta blockers, which can regulate blood flow as well, and that gives us a clue so the blood flow might be um, you know, restored, I guess, by beta blockers can be used. Anticonvulsants, strangely, they were shown to bring benefits. Some of these studies were, were purely serendipitous, someone just trying these things and seeing an effect. Uh, drugs called triptans, which were a big advance in a way because they were working more consistently. They are what are called 5-HT agonists. They trigger a neurotransmitter in the brain called 5-HT. They have shown benefits. So clearly these things work, you know, and, and there's some benefits. Not a cure by any means, but they still work to some extent. And then there's alternative treatments, and, and they can be a bit, you know, hard to pin down. Some people swear by them. One that's very interesting is a plant called feverfew. And I mention it because I did part of my PhD on feverfew. And it grows, grows in Irish gardens, looks like bunches of daisies. There was evidence through antiquity chewing on feverfew leaves may bring relief. And indeed, there's a chemical in feverfew called parthenolide, which I worked on as part of my PhD, that does there's some evidence that it might give relief to, to um, migraine, you know. And again, companies are still working on these kinds of things to see if they work. Melatonin is another one, a natural thing that goes up, you know, as part of your circadian rhythm. That's been shown to have benefits as well. So all these things are there and they're giving some benefits. But now the breakthrough, and this is a really great example of superb research. Uh, and again, I, was, I knew about this during my PhD, actually, all those years ago. There is a natural... Uh, hormone if you like or chemical called CGRP in your body CGRP again regulates blood vessels it can cause vasodilation and when I, again when I was doing my PhD um, one of my co-students called Sue Brain she worked on CGRP she was telling me about it so CGRP can regulate blood flow and they discover I guess it's about 10 years ago now or so this could be important in migraine and there was evidence of a CGRP deficiency in migraine possibly in some people others there was too much being made so again there was all this sort of mixed evidence around it and then a trial was done Uh, a company had developed a way to block CGRP and stop it causing the vasodilation which might give rise to the uh, the symptoms and guess what that trial showed really good benefits and in fact anti-CGRP has now become almost a standard of care as we call this for migraine and again the clinical trial data showed it does work not in everybody 
let's emphasize that as usual um, it's, it, it works in sort of a, a reasonable percent though which allowed it to be approved of course for, for use but that's seen as a big step up because it really does give relief uh, you can take it as you begin to go through the prodrome phase and you know yourself you're having prodrome take the anti-CGRP and again that's been shown to give a lot of relief for many people with migraine it's the biggest advance in migraine research really in the past 50 years you might say and again that's all tied in to blood vessels and the trouble with this is it's an expensive therapy it's about 6,000 a year which isn't cheap not as cheap as, as a painkiller for instance And but still it's a real sort of thing that's come along and it really is showing benefit and meanwhile the, the anti-CGRP advance has galvanised research in migraine now because it's possible now to find a way to treat it and many labs are working on migraine and possible new approaches to treat it and they'll be useful of course for people who don't respond to these therapies or you might get a better response and several different processes are being examined as we speak so yet again as we often discuss with uh, most medical things a lot of hope here for getting a durable way to treat migraine and stop it from happening in the first place if we're lucky so there you have it the science of migraine i hope that didn't give you a headache is that an appropriate joke i wonder owen um but i hope you got some useful information from that and as i say anti-CGRP is great to see and there will be new medicines coming down the track as well to treat what is a very debilitating disease so thanks very much for listening um, remember my podcast is available for download every Thursday and it's a News Talk production